All right. You've been given a, a piece of paper like this as you came in. It's a unit review. Here's what I want you to do. I want, to take, I want you to take about two minutes and try to do, this is, I'm giving you a test, okay? Take about two minutes and try to do just that first part. In your own words, write three concerns God has for the body of Christ. Now, I've given you the, the place where you can find the answers if you don't know, all right? But try to do it without looking at the answers. If you don't have a book, then you're just going to have to work with somebody nearby and say, hey, can you share the the answers with me all right and then after you do those three then I want you to take a minute and try to unscramble this sentence at the bottom all right so just work on that and if you need to work with a a person beside you two or three of you work together that's fine Uh, but try to see how much you can get done all right ready set go You can talk to one another. That's okay, okay? <laughs> Somebody help Chris with the answers. He needs some help over here. Oh, it doesn't? Okay. Give you another minute to work it out. You got it, right, Cindy? All right, I think you've had time to at least wrestle with it. Maybe you got all of them, or at least some of them. And so, in your own words, write three concerns God has for the body of Christ. Give me one of those. What's one of the concerns he has for the body of Christ? Unity, all right? 
Unity. God wants the body to maintain unity and oneness of heart is the way it's written in the book. But unity is right. What's, this, what's another one? Yes. Jesus is the head of the body and the body ought to be Christ-centered. Now, this, this, that is so important. Jesus is the head and because he's the head, our church, any church, should be Christ-centered. All right? And then what was the third one? Love. We ought to love like... Love is described in 1 Corinthians 13 that should prevail, uh, that the members of the body ought to love one another. All right, that's just review of Unit 10. That's where we're going tonight. That's what we're going to be talking about, Unit 10. But I, I gave you this little puzzle just to keep you interested. Unscramble this sentence. Can anybody tell me what that sentence is supposed to be? As the body of Christ. Yeah. So you were almost there. Listen to this, listen to this. A church needs to learn to function as the body of Christ. So the question is, how does the church operate? Any, that's a good question for any church. How does the church operate? Some churches operate as a business, and the emphasis there is on function. How we, We've got their processes. They operate more like a business. Some churches operate on a social club level. The emphasis there would be on fellowship. We're all family and all of that kind of... Some churches operate like a dysfunctional family. And the emphasis there is on fighting. You probably have been in some of those. And, and then some churches operate like a religious museum and the emphasis there is on formality. That everything is formal and, and all of that. But God's plan is that the church function like a body and specifically the body of Christ. And the emphasis there is on this. Listen to this. The emphasis is on fulfilling God's will. That, that, let that sink in for a moment. That God wants the church to function like a body so that the church will fulfill God's will. Let me show you a couple of scriptures just to highlight this. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 30. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 30. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 30 says this. Well, let's start verse 29. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. What in the world is he talking about? Well, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let me show you something else that will help paint the picture. Uh, Over to the left, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though, all, and though all its parts are many, they form one body, so it is with Christ. That, that we form the body of Christ. Collectively, together, we form the body of Christ. Now, as we look at the text tonight, in just a moment, we're going to go to uh, Romans chapter 12. Uh, before we read that, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 12, and then let me tell you a story. Actually, I want you to tell me. Do you remember in your reading, as you worked on unit 10, do you remember reading about Iba Bates? That's my favorite story, I think, in, in uh, the experience of God, or at least one of my favorite stories. I think it's on page 199, if I remember correctly. Yes, 199 uh, in the new books, 199. 
God's will in the church. Iba Bates was a what, church? Iba Bates was a what? How did he describe her? It was a knee. Uh, let me just read you the story. I was going to try to maybe tell it to you or let you tell me, but let's just read it. I just love this story. He says, I mentioned Iva Bates before, a retired widow. She was one of the greatest prayers I have ever known. Our church was the body of Christ that we called Iva a knee. God put her in the body as a powerful prayer. When we had new believers in our church, Iva taught them how to pray. She equipped many in our church to grow in their prayer lives. When we began our ministry to the university campus, Iva didn't know how to reach college students. Our campus minister shared with Iva how she could intercede for the campus. She did not change her role in the body, but learned how to be the knee, the prayer for the campus. The students were told, whenever you're going to witness to somebody, have a particular assignment in your college ministry, tell Iva about it, she'll pray. A student named Wayne said to Iva, next Tuesday I will witness to Doug. Would you pray for me? Iva prayed through the noon hour while Wayne was witnessing. She did that every time the students told her what they were doing. The hand, which was Wayne, was touching the campus, but the whole body was fitly joined together to participate in that particular ministry. Each member functioned where God put it so the hand could be effective. About three months later, a young man came down the aisle of our church during the altar call to place his trust in the Lord for salvation. I said to the congregation, this is Doug. He has just become a Christian. I looked at Iva, who was deeply moved and weeping. She had never met Doug, but she had prayed for him for three months. Who won Doug to the Lord? The body did. I just love the, the, the idea of Iva finding her place in the body. And Iva was a knee. What part are you? You don't have to answer that out loud, but what part are you? Sometimes it's kind of hard to say, well, I'm an elbow or, <laughs> you know, I'm an eye or I'm an ear or whatever it is. But do you have a part? Do you have a place? You see, as the body of Christ, God's goal is not just that you would join a church, though that's important. Not just that you'd be a member of Mount Airy, though that's, that's important. But God's goal is that you would be part of the body of Christ so that the will of God can be done through this body of believers. Does that make sense? That, that you're here for a purpose. You're here for a reason. And God wants to fulfill his will. He, he wants our church to fulfill his will. And if, if you have a purpose that you're not fulfilling, if you're not finding a place and, and being a part of the body, actively trying to do the Lord's will, what, what it, then it's, it's like a hand that doesn't work. You know, I've, I've got rheumatoid arthritis. A lot of you know that. And, and thank the Lord, my, everything works, but I have some joints that hurt. And, you know, this one's deformed and... Uh, but some people who have, I have a sister-in-law who have, has rheumatoid arthritis and her hands are kind of curling, you know. And uh, it, when I see her, you know, I feel sorry for her because it's like, well, God's been good to me and I, I'm still able to, to do everything I'm supposed to do. But some of us, I'm afraid, are, are, are kind of like my sister-in-law, Pat, that maybe we're just not quite doing what we ought to be doing. It's not to lay a guilt trip on you. Just to ask you to say, what, what is my role? What's my part in the body? So here's what we're going to do. I want you to look at Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 shows us how we can be the kind of church where the emphasis is on fulfilling God's will as a body. 
And what I want you to do, I, I gave you that, that sheet of paper, that half sheet of paper. Uh, you might want to turn it over and so you can take a few notes. I'm going to give you four words and, and you can jot those down. And if we have time, I'm going to have you make a chart on the back of that as well. I'm not sure if we'll have time for that. But I want to give you four words that show how we can be the kind of church that is fulfilling God's will. What we need to do, here's the four words I'm going to give you, and you can take notes under each one. I'm going to talk about what we need to do individually. I'm going to talk about what we need to do personally. I'm going to talk about what we need to do corporately. And I'm going to talk about what we need to do relationally so that we can be the body of Christ. Let me give you those words again. We're going to talk about what we need to do individually, what we need to do personally, what we need to do corporately, and what we need to do relationally in order to be functioning as the body of Christ. So, let's look at it. First of all, what do we need to do individually? Well, individually, we must be in tune with God. The first two verses talk about that. Therefore, chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to him. That is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So here's the first step under individually. Here's what we need to do individually. The first step, Paul says, is you need to give God control of your body. Individually. You need to give God control of your body. He says, offer your bodies. And the word offer in the Greek language is, is present tense, and it, it has the idea of a volitional surrender. It means something that you willingly do. You know, before you were saved, you basically used your body in any way you wanted to to fulfill any sinful purpose you wanted to do. But after salvation, we should give our bodies to the Lord to be used for His purposes. Now, think about this and talk to a neighbor. Why would this be important or necessary? In order for us to be the body of Christ, why would it be important for us to give God our bodies? You understand the question? If we're going to be the body of Christ, why is the first step that we give God our bodies? Talk to a neighbor, somebody near you, see if you can figure that one out. All right, so what would you come up with? Why is it, if we're going to be the body of Christ, why is it important? Why is the first step that we give God our bodies? He can decide what part of the body we're going to be, how, how we're going to function. That's good. Surrender our will to his, absolutely. If we don't do that, we'll be pulling away from the body. That's good. All of those are good. Yeah, take that a little further. Yeah, listen to this. You don't theoretically serve the Lord. You have to actually serve Him. 
And Paul says the way that you actually serve him is by giving him your body. You see, here, here's what I put on my notes. Our bodies are the primary way that Christ continues to do his will on earth. He used to do his will on earth through the body of Jesus. Now he's going to do his will on earth through the bodies of his people. And as he does his will through your body and my body, that becomes then collectively the body of Christ working on earth. So our bodies are, our bodies are the primary way that Christ continues to do God's will or, or that God continues to do his will on earth. So tomorrow morning when you have your quiet time, you know what a good thing to do? The Lord, this morning, I not only offer you my praise, I not only give you my thanks, this morning I offer you my body. Do with it as you will. And as you sincerely and genuinely allow him surrender your body to him, you are in essence allowing him to work through you to accomplish his will. Then he says, therefore I urge you, brothers, and the word urge is important there. This is so important. This is vital. This is strategic. I urge you, brothers, take this seriously. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, that is, in view of what God's done for you, in view of how good God's been to you, because of what God's done for you, to offer your bodies, and then he says, as living sacrifices, So this is, you've heard people say this, but it still bears repeating. The problem with living sacrifice is that they tend to crawl off the altar. Right? What we offer today may not be there tomorrow. But what do you think he meant? What, what, what's the, what's the uh, word picture here behind living sacrifices? Somebody help us understand living sacrifices. be dead to sin that's good make him your first priority yes give up our will for his absolutely uh huh think about it in these, in these, in these words or these terms. When a sacrifice was offered, of course, the animal was slain, and the sacri- the, then it was offered to the Lord. It was a sacrifice for God. Paul says, basically, that's the picture I want you to have of your body, except I don't want you to kill yourself. I want you to be a living sacrifice. And so what he's saying is this. As you offer God your body, watch this, it is something you live out every day. Surrendered every day. You've got to live it out. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, not as a dead sacrifice, a one-time dead sacrifice. You've got to live it out. And so you've got to live it out every day. So living sacrifice is living out the fact that I have surrendered my body to God. And Paul gives two reasons for making a commitment like that. And he, see if you can find him in verse 1. He says, first of all, it's the right response to all that God has done for you. In view of God's mercy... Here's one reason you ought to do it, in view of God's mercy. And then what does he say the second reason is you ought to do this in verse 1? Say that again. Exactly. 
This is your spiritual or reasonable way to worship. So what he's saying is when you really genuinely offer your body to the Lord, then every day is a worship experience. See, when they offered the sacrifice, that was part of a worship experience, wasn't it? When they offered the animal to God, that was part of a worship experience. And Paul was saying, if you will offer your body tomorrow to the Lord and genuinely do that, then you are worshiping the Lord through that act. So he says, okay, if you're going to be the body of Christ, the first step is you need to offer, give control of your body. Give God control of your body. Then he says, secondly, this is be under what we need to do um, individually. He says, be, uh, or the second thing is this, allow God to transform your mind. So first of all, give God control of your body, verse 1. Second thing is, allow God to, contr- to transform your mind. He says in verse 2, do not, be conform- do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be, what's that next word, church? Be what? Transformed. Help me with that word. What does transformed mean? Complete change. Different. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The world wants to control your mind, but God wants to transform your mind. If the world controls your thinking, you're a conformer, but if God controls your thinking, you're transformed. Now, again, here's the question. Why is it important that we do this? Listen to the question. Why is it important... That you allow God to transform your mind. I like that. Say that louder. You can say things like God would would say. What else? Exactly. Your mind controls your body. So he says in verse 1, here, you need to offer God control of your body. But verse 2 is, but you need to understand, you, part of that is your mind. Because your mind controls your body. So you need to have a transformed mind. And he says, if you will do that, then second half of verse 2, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. By the way, I, I wish we could stop right there and preach on this for a while. Look how he describes God's will. He describes it as good, as pleasing, and perfect. There is no reason that God's will ought to scare you. Sometimes we're afraid to surrender completely because what might God have in store for me? If I just give God, if I surrender my body to, to the Lord each day, if I surrender my future to the Lord, if I surrender my family to the Lord, if, uh, that, that's a scary thought because I won't be in control and maybe God will make me move to Africa. Yeah, I don't know why we're so afraid of Africa. But, but here's how he describes it. Good, pleasing, you want to miss that? No. You want to be part of that, don't you? So Paul says, here's what you've got to do. You've got to give God control of your body and allow God to transform your mind because your mind controls your body. That's what we must do individually. Then he tells us what we must do personally. All right, here's what he says. 
we must maintain a proper attitude about ourselves personally. Here's how he describes it in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, not just to some of you, but I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Write this down if you're taking notes. Pride hinders our work as the body of Christ. Pride hinders our work as the body of Christ. Well, what is pride, by the way? What is pride? Uh-huh. Thinking highly of yourself. Webster says, an unduly high opinion of oneself, haughtiness, or arrogance. Here's the reason pride is such an issue when it comes to us being the body of Christ. We can't be the body of Christ fulfilling the will of God if the folk, watch this, if the focus is on I and me. We will not be focused on doing the will of God individually and corporately if the focus is on I and me. Now, this is so important. Look how Paul says it. We, we looked at verse 3, but skip down to verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. You need to be humble so that you honor people. Rather than you being honored and looking for people to honor you, honor one another above yourselves. Verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. All of these things are things we have to do personally if we're going to be the body of Christ. Functioning. Not the body of Christ in name, but functioning as the body of Christ. Then we have to guard against pride. Number three, corporately. Let me talk to you about what we must do corporately. We must know and do our part in the body corporately. Know and do our part in the body corporately. Here's what he says, verse 4. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, that's true for every one of you here. So, he says in verse 5, so in Christ we who are many, that's us, we're many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And then he says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's, if it's serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. I don't think Paul was trying to give us an exhaustive list, but I do think he was trying to give us an example Say, here's some ways that you might be part of the body. You may be Ivan Bates, and you might be a knee. Or you could be, uh, you know, your name and, and one of these gifts of serving or, or generosity or uh, mercy and all of those kind of things. Now, help me with this question. Why is it important? Why is it important that that 
there are so many different parts. Why is it important that, that there are so many different gifts? Why, isn't, why don't we just have one or two gifts? Why, why is it so important that we have so many different gifts? Help me with that one. Yeah, that's true. That's true. What else? Various needs, all kinds of different needs. Any other? Yeah, absolutely. You see, we're so familiar with this illustration, most of us, that I think we miss the importance of this illustration. Where God was saying through the Apostle Paul, you're not all the same. You have different gifts. They're given to you by God. By the way, you don't get to choose which one they are. Lord willing, maybe next year. I keep thinking I'm going to do a series on spiritual gifts, and maybe that's next year. But we don't get, you know, we don't get to say, God, why did you give me the gift of serving? I'd like to have the gift of teaching. Why did you give me the gift of mercy? I'd like to have the gift of administration. You know, it'd be nice if we could just kind of line up. All right, everybody wants administration, you get in this line. Everybody wants teaching, you get in this line. That would be nice, wouldn't it? But you know what the focus would be? The focus would be on you again, wouldn't it? And so God decides what gift you get. But every believer, every Christian gets, when the Holy Spirit comes to live within you, you are equipped by the Holy Spirit that lives within you, to do something for the kingdom. You're part of the body of Christ. And so he gifts you to serve him in some way, some fashion. And so here's why it's important. He says in verse 5, we who are many form one body. And he says in verse 6, we have different gifts. But notice, we should not only know our part, we should do our part. Did you notice in verse 6, the second half of verse 6 and, and through verse 8, he says in the first half of verse 6, we have different gifts according to grace given to us. But then he says, if a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it. Right? Let him use it in prophesying. Uh, if it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. He's simply saying, listen, if you're going to be the body of Christ, you've got to do more than know what you're gifted at doing. You've got to do something with it because there's a reason God gave you that gift. And if God gave you that gift, he gave it to you to use it. And as you use your gift, and you use your gift, and you use your gift, and you use your gift, guess what? Suddenly, we become more and more and more like the body of Christ. I'd really like to spend some more time on that, and maybe that'll, that'll lead into a series later on. Corporately, we must know and do our part as the body of Christ. He said, okay, Pastor Keith, I don't know my spiritual gift. How would I find out? Will you come talk to me? And we'll, we'll help you in that endeavor. There's, there's some spiritual gift inventories we can give you. We can talk about your passions and your past experience. And we'll help you figure that one out. Number four, if we're going to function like the body of Christ, we said you've got to do something individually, you've got to do something personally, you've got to do something corporately. Number four, you must do something relationally. 
And here's what we must do relationally. We must live in harmony with one another. Let me go over this make sure you've got all those notes. Individually, we must be in tune with God. We must be in tune with God individually. Personally, we must maintain a proper attitude about ourselves. Corporately, we must know and do our part. And relationally, we must live in harmony with one another. I want you to listen as I read verses 9 through 21. But here's what I want you to listen for. I want you to listen how he emphasizes both our attitudes and our actions as the body of Christ. Listen for our attitudes and our actions. A long list in chapter 12, beginning of verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to, re- to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink and in doing this you'll heap burning coals on his head do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good you know what all of those are listen this is the best part of the night you know what all of those are Paul mentioned all of these verses simply these are things that Jesus would do if he were walking on this earth you read the whole list this is the way Jesus would live these are the kind of actions and attitudes Jesus would have. And when you read this, this, this list of things we're supposed to be doing, you might be tempted to say, that's just not practical. And that's the whole point. You see, our first inclination sometimes is to fight back or to get revenge, but we can never be the body of Christ if we're not trying to live on a higher level than everybody else. And so when you read verses 9 through 21, what you have is... Uh, a description of how Jesus lived and a description of how the body of Christ should live. We don't have time for this, but let me go ahead and, and get you started at least. On that sheet of paper that I gave you, on that blank side, if you still got some room, I want you to make a little chart, I guess is what we would call it. Uh, two columns. You need two columns, okay? Uh, on, on the left column, the heading for the left column is this. Things we should not do. Things we should not do. Things we should not do. On the right-hand side of the column are, is this. Things we should do. Now, here's what I want to encourage you to do. We don't have time to do it tonight. I was going to give you this as an exercise in class, but if you really want to take this further, maybe in your quiet time tonight or tomorrow, this would be a good thing for you to do. I want you to read verses 9 through 21 sometime, whether you do it tonight or in the morning. Read verses 9 through 21, and simply out of those verses, list things we should do and things we should not do. Let me get you started just to show you what I'm talking about. 
Love must be sincere. So under things we should do, I would write love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. So I would write under things we should do. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. So I'd write things we should do. Cling to what is good. And you, and you just keep going all the way down the list. Things you should do and things you should not do. Uh, and it's quite eye-opening to look at that list and say, Okay, God, this is how you want me to live. All right. Um, let me close with this kind of an illustration. For 33 years, for 33, when I say I'm closing, I'm getting ready to turn it over to Chris, so don't get ready to leave. I don't want to disappoint you, all right? Chris is going to come up here in about two minutes. For 33 years, Jesus was incarnated in a human body. That is, he lived in a human body. 33 years. And through that body, he went about doing good. Now watch this, it's so important. With his eyes, he saw the hurts of those around him. With his ears, he heard the cries of those around him. With his feet, he went to be by their side. With his hands, he healed them and he fed them. With his voice, he spoke God's word to them and the good news of salvation. And after 33 years, he was crucified on the cross. He was buried. He was resurrected. And sometime later, about 40 days, he ascended back to heaven. Then on the day of Pentecost, the living spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, came back to earth this time to dwell in his people and to constitute or create the church. So while God was incarnated as Jesus in a body for 33 years, he now lives in this new body called the church, God's people. And now we are his eyes, we are his ears, his feet, his hands, his voice. And the world can't see Christ like they could when he was here for 33 years. All they can see is us, the body of Christ. Let's not be a poor resemblance to Jesus. Let's have that outward focus and live, let him live in us and let him live through us. So tomorrow morning it starts when you get up and you pray, not just offering him your thanks and not just offering him your, your prayer request, but also offering him your body. So that tomorrow, during that day, you can be the body of Christ wherever you go.